0: Even though you are seeing a big move in rates and a reaction to rising rates across markets, when you look at credit, you're actually seeing the higher quality parts of the market outperform the lowest quality part.
1: Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Kara O'Halloran. I'm a director on the investment research team here. And on today's episode, we are somehow kicking off our Outlook content for the last quarter of 2022 with an episode focused on credit markets. So we will talk about what's been driving markets through the end of September, whether we think credit markets are fairly valued and how we think credit is going to cap off what's really been a a difficult year. Um, So as always, to walk through all of that with me, I have brought on Rob Hoffman, the head of our research team. Rob, thanks for joining.
0: Hey, good morning. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah. It's been a minute since we recorded, so we've uh, <laughs> feeling a little rusty, but let's let's dive well, you know, in. There's,
0: there's nothing happening in uh, Oh, I know, exactly. Quiet well, that's- year.
1: So actually, last time we left off in early July, you know, our last Outlook episode credit was trying to make a rally, um, which it did for you know a lot of July and half of August. But exactly to your point, where you know clearly nothing's going on in markets this year. But if you had closed your eyes and just woken up today, you'd never know that any of that happened, right? So the high yield market, as of yesterday, has fully walked back uh, all of those gains that we saw from the summer and year to date is now down almost 15%. Um, So actually just where we left off at the end of of Q2. So a lot of the first half of the year has really been this ping pong match, right? Between interest rate risk and credit risk or concerns about um, economic growth with different parts of the market, different credit asset classes rallying kind of based on whatever that topic du jour was. So Rob, catch us up a little bit. Um, what? Let's look at that ping pong match again. Right? Yeah. What has been really driving markets in the third quarter, and then what do you think is going to be the the main um, topic of of discussion in the fourth quarter?
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting because in the month of September, and we'll we'll get to this in a moment, but you're seeing something that in some ways is actually quite different than what happened earlier in the year. So, you know, to start the year, rates were going up you know, everybody was really concerned about duration impact. You know, I think it was interesting in the standpoint that, you know, we've written a lot and and had a lot of data that historically showed, you know, high yield in particular as a fixed rate asset class was not particularly duration sensitive, didn't really have correlation to rates. But I think, you know, things had gotten so low and rates have now gone up, you know, so quickly and, and so far that, it induced a lot of duration sensitivity into the asset class. Um, But you did see, as you noted, like as you got into July and the market got a little bit less concerned about the rate increase, you know, maybe things were on pause. People thought, well, you know, maybe the Fed's going to start lowering rates early next year. And high yield staged a really, really strong rally over the course of the month of July you saw investor sentiment change where you know people started selling floating rate loan funds started buying fixed rate high yield you know a lot of those dynamics changed early on in the third quarter but you know as markets peaked in the middle of august that sentiment started to change again it was probably solidified you know earlier or what september 13th i think when the mm-hmm. cpi report came out that inflation is high um, it's not going to magically, you know, go back to 2% really quickly. Uh, you saw a big increase in rates, a big increase in Fed rate expectations. However, the one thing that I think is is different about September um, as we, you know, sort of near the end of it, when you look at returns by rating, you know, historically when markets were really duration sensitive, the higher duration parts of the market, which is the higher quality part of the market, like double B's, underperformed and the lower part of quality part of the market did better. September, even though you are seeing a big move in rates and a reaction to rising rates across markets, when you look at credit, you're actually seeing the higher quality parts of the market outperform the lowest quality part. And so I think the one thing that's a little bit different is that the market's a little bit more in tune to the potential for recession risk next year you know, what that would entail, which part of the markets are better equipped versus others. And even though you're in what would otherwise be, I think, a very duration-sensitive kind of environment, given the, you know, really rapid move in rates over the past couple of weeks, you're not seeing that flow through in the same way that it has before. So, you know, it's a, it's a long way of saying things are still pretty choppy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still pretty messy. Um but you're starting to see the market you know maybe react i think a little bit more rationally to some of the long term you know positive fundamentals but also some of the long term risks that are out there
1: yeah and so you think in the if you're thinking about the fourth quarter it almost seems like we're concerned about we're concerned about both right of course we are but about interest rates and and growth or recession fears but if we're seeing these higher quality assets outperform you know, we're, are we kind of zooming in on growth or where do you think the market's really going to be paying attention? Or yeah. is, are we just kind of along for the ride with the rest of, of risk assets?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we noted and talked about um, is just the really strong underlying fundamentals in credit markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's remarkable. I mean, the, the data always comes out with a lag. So the data we have is through Q2, but really significant increases in revenue and cash flow really low leverage levels across bonds and loans um and it sets up credit i think fundamentally to be quite strong so as we think about q4 and a lot of the volatility that we've seen i do think the markets are kind of being whipsawed by equities and this general you know risk on risk off sentiment across markets that is driving things because You know, it's remarkable. High yield is poised, you know, as of now to have its second worst year on record. Default rates are barely above 1%. I mean, it's like it is not a credit risk environment in terms of, you know, this year, real time credit risk driving losses. It's been all about rates and all about expectations. And that's something where equities are, you know, clearly much more impacted by, you know, P.E. ratios and forward expectations of earnings and multiples yeah. in a way that credit markets, you know, it's not quite as applicable.
1: Yeah. And and I'm going to get to that um, in a minute. But, you know, just to to drive home how strong these fundamentals are, I mean, I'm looking at a chart right here, interest coverage ratios. So that debt service coverage is at the highest level in history. So yeah. the strongest level ever, the leverage levels are back to pre-COVID levels, Um, EBITDA margins, which I think this is something that we had been watching really closely because actually in the first quarter, we saw margins um, deteriorate a little bit. And that, you know, kind of assuming maybe there's some inflation pressures happening, um, but we saw them grow again in the second quarter. So really that wasn't kind of the start of a a broader downtrend. So that was something we were watching very closely um, and very good to see improvements in the second quarter. But- just an exceedingly strong fundamental market. Um, So let's talk about, I think that brings up the topic of spreads, right? I think that a lot of people this year have been saying, oh, spreads haven't widened enough, um, especially given really this carnage we've seen in equity markets. And given that the high yield market is down 15%, um, I will admit I was in that camp for a while, (laughs) as you know, Rob, since I sit next to you and we talk about credit a lot. Um, But so as of now, spreads are about 200 basis points wider than where they started the year. So I think when we were both like, all right, well, you know, what are spreads going to do? They they really, they hit 600 basis points. They tightened again. Where are they going to go from here? We kind of took a different approach and almost kind of worked backwards to see whether we found uh, that spreads were adequately compensating investors for these risks that we see out there. Um so I think it's worth walking through and I realize this is an audio medium and this is kind of a math intensive proposition but walking through a little bit at a high level what spreads are telling you right now when it comes to kind of what investors uh, what the ri- what risks are markets pricing in right now and what is that compensation for investors look like
0: Yeah well you know to to your point about not wanting to walk through math in an audio <laughs> medium you know we did publish a report Um, entitled Decoding Default Risk. You know, what are credit markets telling us? Um, You know, big kudos to you and and a lot of the data that's in there.
1: Always better at plugging our work than I am. So thank you.
0: (laughs) No, but I, you know, what it, what it, the the crux of what it says is that if you look at an, an environment where spreads are, say, 500 in high yield markets, that some portion of that spread is just effectively always there. Um, you 're always going to get some sort of excess spread just for being in credit um, to compensate you for the inherent risk of credit. You then have spread on top of that, and the theory goes that the spread on top of that is default risk um, and so when you look at you know where markets are currently with um, you know credit spreads around five hundred and thirty basis points it 's effectively giving you about a four percent implied default rate. And yes, there are ways to massage these numbers multiple ways. But you know, this is, uh, you know, you go back and you look at some, you're using these statistics, these implied rates versus actual rates. Do things match up? Do they move the way you would expect to? You know, the basic answer is yes. Um, And so, you know. Meaning
1: that that often the market implies a level of defaults that is relatively in line with, or actually we found exceeds actual defaults. I think that's what you were
0: getting. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, you know, you look at current default rates around one and a quarter percent, you know, expected default rates, you know, to rise, but maybe to 2%, you know, and, and that's consistent with fundamentals that are really, really strong. And you look at a market that, you know, every day is pricing in greater and greater, you know, default risk of you know, four plus percent with where spreads are now. And I think you can look at that and say, you know, the market is compensating you for the credit losses and default risk that is likely to be seen, you know, over the course of the next 12 months. Um, You know, I think that obviously the volatility that's coming from equities is something that's difficult. But, you know, I, I would like to think that if you take this sort of medium to longer term approach and you know, markets generally compensate you for the underlying credit risk that is there, that with the spread widening that you've seen, you know, markets are kind of appropriately pricing in this expectation for credit loss and default risk. And, you know, look, we're you don't necessarily need spreads at a thousand basis points or something like that when the market still doesn't really have any great expectation for rising default rates. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a very interesting dynamic kind of going on, you know, just like the market being down the second most in history with basically no default loss. So it doesn't explain everything, but, you know, it's it, I think it's there's a case to be made that it is somewhat appropriate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're not naive, right? Like we know that in the short term, sentiment is going to drive spreads and I think we—I toyed with calling our outlook collateral damage, but I didn't want to because there actually is no collateral damage in credit (laughs) markets right now. As we said, fundamentals look really good, but credit's just kind of getting caught up in our view and a lot of this volatility that we're seeing throughout markets. But so, if sentiment's driving spreads in the short term, if we have a chopier fourth quarter, you know, we're not—we're not naive that spreads could widen. But if you—if you look at the long term, we do think. You know, there is a degree of of slowdown priced in and, and is adequately um, compensating investors. And I think that there's a lot of reasons to think that this default cycle could be different than the prior default cycles. Yeah. Right. So we've talked a lot about the market quality. You know, double B's make up over 50 percent of the high yield index. Now, the 10 year average default rate for double B bonds is point zero four percent. So, you know, as that market continues to improve in quality, that's a, a large cohort that you just very, very, very rarely see defaults. Yeah. Um, we talked about fundamentals being exceptionally strong. We just had a default cycle two years ago, right? Like we just haven't, companies have been focused on balance sheet improvement. They just, we haven't had the time to build up all of those kind of excesses that we've seen yeah. in prior cycles. Yeah. Um, you look at sectors too, right? Energy has over time has made up, I think, a third of high yield defaults throughout history. And it's the largest part of the high yield market. Energy in any sort of commodity related sector right now is is doing phenomenally. Yeah. We know what's going on in commodity markets. So, yeah. you know, they, they, their fundamentals look even better than the average for the high yield yeah. index. So, yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to think that, you know, even if we do have uh, an upgrade in defaults, and I think, or sorry, not an upgrade, but an uptick in defaults. Um, and I think it's naive to think we wouldn't if we do have a recession or a really slow growth environment. I think there's a lot of reasons to think that the market as a whole is, is going to experience a, a level of defaults yeah. lower than, than we've seen in the past. Well,
0: and one of the other things that I think you pointed out uh, as we were putting together the outlook was this chart, you know, looking at high yield spreads um, related to equity volatility. Cause I think that could be one of the other things to say, well, you know, equity volatility is so high, shouldn't spreads be even wider, just compensating you for that, you know, general vol and and risk off sentiment that's in the market. But I think, you know, and you can comment that the data shows that that's actually not the case, like spreads are elevated, and they're elevated because there is an increase in equity volatility, but it's actually consistent with sort of what you would expect.
1: Yeah, totally. So actually, in the beginning of this year, spreads had kind of underperformed their their typical relationship with uh, with the VIX is is what we're referencing, but um, since we really saw, and that was really when it was like the interest rate uh, the interest rate driven declines, and we didn't see a lot of spread widening then. But we have seen, I mean, 200 basis points of spread widening is not insignificant. Um, and since that time, since kind of the end of Q1, we really have seen the relationship we would expect between high yield spreads and and implied equity vol. Again, I won't. Uh, I won't continue to reference a chart that no one listening can <laughs> yeah. see, um, but it is in our, in our quarterly outlook. Um, that, that brings up another question I have. If we're thinking about, you know, the, the topic of credit versus equities, right? And you started to allude to it a little bit, but if we think about, right, it's the end of September, we've had nine months of just a lot of pain throughout markets. Um, and it, so it's clear that things look more attractive from a pure valuation perspective. The obvious caveat here being that things are still extremely uncertain. So we're in no way calling a, you know, a market bottom or anything like that. I think nobody uh, wants to, to make a call like that right now. But, you know, if somebody is considering starting to leg into some sort of allocation and whether that's credit or equities, which, as we know, is kind of the common cross-asset comparison, um, what would you say to somebody you know, deciding between the two asset classes?
0: Yeah, I mean, in a risk off environment, which we have been in recently, you know, credit markets historically exhibit less volatility to the downside um, versus equities. And I think that when you also factor in that a lot of this risk off is coming from rising rates, um, that is also particularly beneficial to floating rate asset classes like loans. So I know. A lot of times we talk about high yield because there's tons of data and it's really interesting, but the loan market's really big also. It's it's something that we're active in um, and it's worth mentioning as well. But, you know, markets peaked in this quarter around uh, mid-August, you know, from that peak to now, equities are down 15%. High yield's only down, you know, seven and a half and loans are only down two and a quarter. Like, you know, credit historically in these types of environments does better especially to me when you think about the fundamental backdrop where defaults are really low, credit losses are really low, you know, markets are very much trading on sentiment, you know, some rate concerns, the potential for recession, and I just think this long-term kind of math involved in, you know, what are the PE ratios for equities, what are earnings, where are forward earnings going to actually be, what sort of discount rate you know, like that to me can induce so much potential volatility in equities that fundamentally doesn't really impact credit. Like how's the revenues, how the cash flows, they making their interest payments, are they going to default on their debt? Like when all of that is still so good and not to say that it can't get a little bit worse, but you're starting from a very good point. um, You know, I think that continues to uh, bolster, you know, plus you add in the income that you're earning in both of these markets where you know, yields for both markets are now in excess of nine and a half, you know, even 10% plus. Like that's a really nice income component that's coming into a credit allocation, helping to bolster it against some of the volatility going on with equity markets. So, you know, it's not, you're not immune by any means, but I think you do have, you know, reasonable downside protection and you will get upside participation, you know, if this, you know, whatever happens and the the water's clear and equities start ripping again and people get euphoric, you're going to have some spread tightening across these markets and you're going to see upside price appreciation upon, you know, in addition to just that income that can allow you to have some really nice returns and credit as well. Uh,
1: I also think one thing that we haven't talked about a ton is the dollar. And I mean, when I say we haven't talked about it a lot, I mean on this podcast because obviously, you know, we're talking about it a lot just throughout markets. It's it's a very hard to ignore topic yeah. right now. But if you think about, you know, who is impacted by a stronger dollar, um, a lot of the high yield market is very U.S. centric. You know, they yeah. don't have as much foreign revenue. Um, so they're a little bit more insulated from some of those, you know, those costs uh, associated. Um,
0: yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I think if you, you know, focus on you know, the S&P 500 and the largest companies that are in there, and you think of the Microsofts and the Apples, and you know they generate significant foreign revenues that are really impacted by a really strong dollar. As you go to smaller company sizes, and especially as you come into companies that tend to be private, they are naturally much more focused domestically in the U.S., where they, their costs and their revenues are almost entirely domestic. And the propensity to see that is much higher across credit markets. And so you're right that certainly one of these major macro risks that is out there that you know, could impact things like S&P forward earnings, which could have a huge impact on equity prices and equity volatility, is much less of an issue for, you know, domestic U.S. credit markets. Yeah.
1: It's actually an issue for investment-grade credit markets. Um, yeah. That's kind of the, if you think about, like, who, the S&P 500 companies, where are they issuing their debt? It's often in the investment-grade market. Yeah. So um, that is a headwind facing, you know, yeah, yeah, that market has been hit extremely hard this year. But, you know, yields there look look okay now, but it, they, they definitely have that headwind. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to, to wrap it up with, uh, a new segment that we're calling the Fireside Fire Drill. <laughs> um, so I'm going to rapid fire a couple of questions and you get, I just want your gut reaction. Okay. You get one or two words. I don't even want an explanation. <laughs> All right.
0: That's very All hard, right. but we'll try.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be fun. Okay. Question one. If you had to choose, is it more likely between now and year end or or what is the next question? big spread move are we going to so keep in mind spreads are like 420 525 basic points right now is it more likely that spreads go to 475 or 650
0: um wow it's a tough one okay (laughs) i'll say higher Uh, 650 sounds a little high between now and the end of the year but i'll say higher 600 (laughs) okay higher all
1: right um what outperforms through year end high yield bonds or high yield does higher or lower rated credit outperform through year end? Higher rated. What is a higher default rate at year end? Bonds or loans? Loan. All right, that's all I had.
0: <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> See, right. I told you. <laughs> <Okay>. I,
1: <laughs> we did it. You did a good job. You you got one word at the end one yeah. word answers at the end. You had a little bit of a caveat in know. your first one. But will I'll allow it since it was our first time doing that segment. I think that's a, a good place to stop. Um, I, our, as always, our credit outlook is available on fsinvestments.com along with the rest of our Q4 Outlook content. Rob, thanks, uh, thanks for joining and we'll be back for 2023. <laughs> Sooner <Yeah>. than uh, <laughs> Pretty soon. All right, thanks. Okay. If you liked this episode, subscribe to Fireside wherever you get your podcasts.